Hey, we're in a series called Smoothie Life, and we're talking about how to lead a spirit-led life. And Matt, who's our lead pastor, is out of town today. Um, and actually, Scott, our executive pastor, had gone too. Um, when Scott, before Scott moved here and started working at Next Level, he was the lead pastor at a church in Ohio. And uh, he and his wife and Matt and Sarah would go, would, would cruise together. And if you don't know the lingo, that's not like riding motorcycles together. That is going on a cruise boat together every year. So in honor of the smoothie life, um, they went on a cruise together. So they're gone. They're not here. My name is Mike. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm the associate pastor here at Next Level. And um, if, you're, if you're new, I just want to tell you something amazing that's been going on in my life. Uh, about seven months ago, I had a son. His name's Karsten. Yeah. yeah. Those are the people who've met him. He's, uh, because he is he's great. He is a great kid. I, I wish I would have brought some pictures, but I didn't. Um, just because I didn't think about it. So, uh, but he, he's pretty awesome. Uh, tell you about what's going on in his life because it's, it's exciting to me. And you know how like you go over to someone's house and they show you home videos and you're like, why are we watching home videos? It's only because the person who's showing them to you wants to watch them. That's kind of talking about Karsten. But he, uh, uh, last week we went into his room and cause we heard him fussing a little bit, put him down for a nap, heard him fussing. We walked in his room and he was sitting up and we're like, what's going on? And he was fussing because he couldn't lay down. Two days later, um, we came in and he was like holding onto his crib, standing up. Um, so, which may not be a big deal for you, but that was huge for us. Um, I'm thinking this week, uh, I'm a little worried we might catch him with a girl. So, um, he's grown up really fast, which is scary. He's, <laughs> he, um, he, you know, uh, he's, he's not quite crawling yet, which is a good thing for us because our house is not very child-proofed. You know, some people who, who are like super child-proof with their house, um, we've just not done that. And, and, you know, we should have done it because about a year ago we bought a house and we bought a townhome and we had two options. We had the option to buy, one, buy, a, buy a townhome, and they're like 30 years old. So buy a townhome that's kind of been renovated or buy a townhome that hasn't been renovated and then fix it up. And so we kind of looked at it and said, we think that probably we can, we can buy the one that needs to be fixed up for a, and then fix it up for about the same amount of money um, as buying the new one, and then we could have it the way that we wanted it. And so you'd think that we would have child-proofed it, but we didn't, because I think in the middle of kind of doing everything, um, I'll tell you a little bit about the townhome we bought. It had like wood grain cabinets. Like when you walk in, like the old school wood grain, um, it had linoleum floors on the kitchen, but it just didn't have like linoleum floors. We started taking it up and there were like layers of linoleum because apparently when you lay linoleum, you just keep piling it on top of each other. Um, and we discovered that we had a foot more. That's not true. But um, we got rid of all our carpet. We had um, popcorn ceilings that were in there. Oh, and the living room. This is great. The living room on two sides of the walls, there were floor to ceiling mirrors. And then in the middle of it was like this, it came out from the wall, it was a fireplace. Not like a real fireplace, but like a fake fireplace. Because don't you know, in Florida, we all need a fireplace. I mean, that's what you need when you're in Florida. And so you'd think that we would keep that, but we didn't. We decided to get rid of that. Um, in our bedrooms, we had floor-to-ceiling mirrors, because apparently the people who designed it loved mirrors. Um, floor-to-ceiling doors on the, on the mirror, doors on all the, on the closets. And basically everything in there just needed to be redone. And we had to redo the floors, we had to redo the ceiling, scrape all the popcorn off, we had to redo all the cabinets, everything that needed to be done. But, but there's something you've got to know about me. My dad is a union carpenter in Indiana. He owns his own construction company. 
And so he can do anything. He can do woodworking. He can do drywall. He can do anything. My mom is a graphic designer. She owns her own graphic design company. And she can draw anything. She can design anything. She just has a great eye. So you'd think that with a dad who does construction and a mom who's an artist and does graphic design, this would be perfect for me because we have to come in and renovate the whole thing and do construction, and then we have to design it in such a way. You'd think that a son of a construction worker and a graphic designer would be the perfect person. But what you have to know about me is I'm not really that good at either. Um, I don't know how. Like Some kids like have the same gifting as their parents. I, don't, I didn't get any of their giftings as far as that stuff goes. I worked for my dad for a while, and he's like, here, I need you to hammer this in. And, and he kind of, I started hammering it in. And as I'm hammering things in, you know, hammering, hammering drywall or whatever you do, hammering drywall and, you know, and basically got so sick of hitting my thumb, I'm smashing the drywall with the hammer because I get so mad. And he's like, okay, let's try something else. So he's like, here's a screw gun and try to screw in some drywall. So I tried that. He had somebody who could screw in 20 screws before I could screw in two. So he said, let's try something else. Um, and basically everything he tried until finally he's like, hey, I have this bag of drywall mix can you bring it upstairs and i'm really i don't know if you know this i'm really good at carrying stuff so that was kind of where i landed with him um my brothers and my sister they are like artists like crazy not this guy (laughs) this guy can't draw a straight line i mean i was like the kid who didn't do anything so as we're looking at our town home that needs to be completely renovated i mean we apparently didn't think about this needs to be completely renovated I found myself in a situation where I was kind of looking and I had the thought of, you know what, I think I'm going to need some help. I, th- I think I'm going to come to a, I, I kind of came to a place where I needed, some, I needed some help. I found myself in a situation where I could, do, could not do what was required of me. And all through life, I mean, all of us face stuff like this. This is what school is all about. I mean, we went to school because we knew that we needed help, or at least our parents knew we needed help. And we knew that we couldn't function in life and do jobs and do things we needed to unless we went to school. Um, this is the same thing, learning how to ride your bike. I mean, for some of you, probably, maybe, you learned how to ride it yourself. But for the majority of us, we had someone to help us. Because I would imagine, and, and I don't know this, I had my dad who helped me learn to ride my bike. But I would imagine having someone help you ride a bike and trying to learn on your own, there's like a big difference of pain there. If you try to learn on your own, you'd fall a lot. Um, if, you're, if you're a single guy, this is probably true for you. You probably have right now in your life, you're probably going, man, I need some help. Because I know for me, I kind of look back on before Leanne and I were married, and I don't know why this is. I was just like a lot more disorganized than I am now. And like, like I had clothes everywhere, and I was kind of a little bit, I wasn't like dirtier, but I was a lot messier. Like my car, it was like just had all kinds of stuff in it and all kinds of messed up stuff. And, and for some of you guys, some of you married guys, you know this. You look at your life and think, man, I didn't even realize the degree to the help that I needed. I didn't even know how much help I needed until I finally got married. And so all of us kind of need some help. We all get training in our jobs. There's some basic learning in our lives. And, and in those simple times when we need help and we need, we need something, there's typically someone there in our lives to help us. And there's someone to teach us what to do and show us what to do and show us how to approach the thing that we're facing. But I want to talk about today, what I want to talk about today is the situations in life where there's no help. Or the situations in life where it just seems like 
there's no one there who know how to help us. Or the situations where it just seems like all is lost and, and, and there's nothing we can do and we're not sure how to react. Situations like addiction. And, and addiction is one of those things that it just starts off, we just tried something, and then it kind of gets bigger and we kind of do it a little more and do it a little bit more and do it a little bit more. Until finally we find ourselves entrapped in something. And, and, and some of you are thinking about, thinking about a situation. You're thinking, man, I just clicked on a link on my computer. And now I'm addicted to porn. And I don't know how I got here. And some of us, I just, I just drank with my friends. Everybody drinks. This is just why everybody drinks with my friends. And I drank and I drank a little bit more and I drank a little bit more. Now I can't stop thinking about it. And now I found myself in this place where I'm like drinking alone and I'm hiding it and I'm secretive and I don't know what to do because this is not a problem like riding my bike where my dad can just come and help me. This is huge. Same thing with drugs. Oh, what's the big deal? And you try it a little bit, try it a little more until you find yourself in a place where you're like entrapped with it. And it's a problem that's huge. Maybe it's a, for, for you, maybe it's a divorce, or maybe it's just a relationship that's jacked up. And you, you found yourself in this place with, with the person you're married to, and you're thinking, man, this just is, this is such a huge thing. And it's such a big problem, and it's like, I don't know who to go to for help, and part of me doesn't even want help, and I'm not real sure what to do. And these problems are just so big. Same thing with finances, bankruptcy, credit cards. Some of you have someone, credit, creditors calling you four times a day. And what do you do with those situations? What do you do when the doctor comes in and says, I think it's cancer? Or what do you do when you can't get pregnant? Or what do you do when an illness strikes and sickness happens? What do you do in those situations? What do you do in those situations where it just doesn't seem like there's help? When it doesn't seem like there's anything that you can do and anyone that can help you? What are we supposed to do? Well, in this series we're talking about what it means to live a life that's led by the Holy Spirit. I want us to see how the Holy Spirit plays a part in our lives when we face situations like this. Because I, I, I think that I think that there might be more to the story than what we see when we face huge problems. There might be more to look at. So we're going to look uh, in the Bible. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts. Um, it's in the New Testament after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, and John. And there's Acts. Um, go to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to start off, though, tell you a little bit about the story. Um, we're going to go to Acts 1, then we're going to Acts 4. But tell you off real quick. Jesus, you know, some of us know the story of Jesus. Jesus comes to the earth. And he comes and he's here for three years, and that's it. To think about how huge Christianity is by someone coming to earth and only teach, he only taught for three years. He only taught for three years, and Christianity has become huge. It's amazing. But he comes and he teaches for three years and teaches just a whole revolutionary thing. People don't like it, so they end up killing him. Well, and he's dead for three days. Then God brings him back to life. He's back to life, and then he's on the earth for 40 days walking around, teaching, talking to people. And for 40 days, he's on the earth. After 40 days, he gets brought up into heaven and then, and then basically leaves the people who are following him to himself. And look what he says in Acts chapter 1-8. And Matt looked at this verse last week. Here's what, here's what Jesus says to the people, his followers, right before he leaves. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
in Judea and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then as soon as he says it, boom, he's gone. He's up in heaven. And now he kind of leaves his followers there. And the two things I'm going to look at because, uh, uh, that he says here that's a little bit confusing is that he tells the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. I mean, it's kind of like, what does he mean by you will receive power? I mean, they had to have been sitting there thinking, is, are we going to be superheroes? I mean, how cool. The Holy Spirit comes on you and you're Batman. I mean, that's a great, or you're Superman. But he says you're, come on, guys. Um, no, but uh, he, says, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then he says, and you will be my witnesses. He says, you'll be my witnesses and you'll receive power. So this is kind of unclear. So from here, the, basically the disciples go, the Holy Spirit comes on them, and then look what happens in Acts chapter 4, is that the story kind of picks up a little bit, and, and, and Peter and John and sort of all the disciples were sort of going around, and they were telling everyone about Jesus. They started talking to people, and they had tons of people following them. And they started healing people. And then it happens in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was the evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Like if you have a, like a get arrested in the weekend, you get, you're there until Monday. Verse 4, But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Now the number of men grew to about 5,000 is amazing. So these guys who Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, all of a sudden 5,000 people are essentially following them. In just a few short days, Peter and John and these group, group of people who are following Jesus are now the pastors of a church, essentially, that's 5,000 people. And this is verse 5. It says, The next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Ananias, Ananias the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and, Peter, and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? And essentially what happens here is that Caiaphas and, and all the high priests, essentially the most influential religious leaders of the day, bring Peter and John before them and start questioning them. And then in verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people. And I want to stop there. Because um, at that point, from then on, Peter goes into the speech. And just talks all about Jesus. We're not going to look at the speech. We're going to kind of jump past it. But he just gives this big speech telling about what happened. Because they're questioning him. He stands up in front of the most influential people, influential religious leaders of the day, and gives a speech. And then in verse 13, it says, When they, saw, when they talking about the, the, the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, which I think is interesting, that they realize they are unschooled and ordinary men, probably because unschooled men talk a little bit different than schooled men. And so this is the way, what I envision. This may not be what you envision. Peter getting up going, hey, y'all. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> what y'all talking about? Um, you just shut your mouth. Um, that's kind of what I see. That may not be what you see. Um, so... <laughs> Ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed, because there's a guy there who, who they healed, standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So Peter and John get up, they sort of give a big speech, and, and the, he blows away these religious leaders. 
So, so um, they stand there and they see the guy who, who, who has been healed and they basically say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Peter and John, they send them out and then Peter and John, they, they, they talk to themselves and, and, and the religious leaders talk by themselves and they say, okay, we need to talk about this. Because these guys out here, is, they're just shaking it up and we're not real sure what to do. So they go off and they meet and then in verse 18 it says, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether, whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, I want to go back to Acts 1-8 real quick, and I want, to, I want to look at this verse. It says, you will receive power and be my witnesses. And essentially, as soon as they go out and they receive the Holy, power, or Holy Spirit, they go out and they start becoming witnesses. And it says, it says that, that there were 5,000 people that were following them. There were 5,000 people that were following them, and they go out and they become the witnesses. And then they go out and they talk to the, the most influential religious leaders of the day. And here's what I think Jesus was saying right here. I think he was saying, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. In other words, he knew the group of people he was talking to were about to become the most influential religious people of the day, or the most sought after, at least, religious leaders of the day. The people, as he's standing there talking probably to a small group of people, and he says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. What Jesus knew was that, was that pretty soon, these people he were talking to, they were going to be leading a church of thousands of people. They were going to be leading a church and having conversations and giving speeches to the most influential religious, religious leaders of the day. And he knew they needed power because you know what Peter was three years ago before this story? He was a fisherman. Peter was standing there and he was a fisherman. And you know what a fisherman says when he gets up in front of the most influential religious leaders of the day? A fisherman doesn't say much because a fisherman gets freaked out. I know if it was me, I mean, think about it. You got, I mean, you know, I don't know how much, how familiar you guys are with religious leaders, but if it was like Billy Graham and, you know, Rick Warren and all those guys, even me, I'm like, um, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I don't, who are these people that you, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Sorry. Are we making you mad? We really didn't mean to. I mean, that's what a fisherman, a fisherman freaks out. I mean, a tax collector, Matthew, he was a tax collector. I mean, he didn't, I mean, when have they ever spoke in front of people before? When have they ever led a church before? There was no church. They became the church. They decided about the church. They made the decisions about the church. And now there are 5,000 people in a matter of days in the church. And Peter and John and these guys, you will be my witnesses. But Jesus, we're just fishermen. We are unschooled and ordinary. We are so unschooled, people hear us talk and they go, that boy's dumb. I mean, you know, I mean, they are that unschooled that people hear them and realize they are unschooled and they're ordinary. And Jesus says to him, he didn't just say, you will be my witnesses, but he says, you will have power. 
He says, you, won't, you don't have enough to do what I'm calling you to do. And you don't have to have enough to do what I'm calling you to do. He's saying, don't worry. You don't have to have enough. Because here's what he's doing. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to make up for what you can't do by giving you the exact power to do what God is calling you to do. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to make up the difference between where you are and what you need to do. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and His power is going to make up the difference, which for them was to be witnesses to all the earth. So Peter and John, they get up before the the most influential religious leaders of the day, and they say, tell us what's going on, and Peter and John stand up, and they tell him. Now, how does, how does a fisherman do that? It's because there's divine power that is given to them. And I think the same is true for us. When we face problems that are too much for us, the Holy Spirit gives us exact power to face the problems in our lives. And, and like I said earlier, I know that probably some of you are dealing with addictions, and some of you are dealing with things like porn. And you know, you, the right thing would be for you to go home and tell your spouse and you go home and you get a counselor and go home and work through this and deal with this and fight through this and do whatever you have to do. But you look on and go, no, that's too hard. It's too big. It's too much of a, it just, I just can't do it. It's too big. I can't do this. And Jesus says, that's why I have the Holy Spirit. Because he'll give you the power to do it. Because where you can't, he will give you the power. If you have debtors calling you right now, people who are calling you, trying to get your money, trying to get you to pay off something, Jesus says, listen, you can't handle this. That's why I've given you power. That's why I came, so that I could give you power to get through it. And for some of you, it means the house is going to sell. For some of you, it means it's going to stink, but the house is going to foreclose. In either situation, he's going to give you power to get through it. Some of you have a falling out with a loved one. Some of you have just something, you're just dealing with something like a, a learning disability. Some of you, you're, you're looking at the next four months and going, the next four months of my life, whatever the problem is, I can't handle this. I'm just dealing with some things in my life. I'm just, I'm just struggling with some things, and the problems are too great. And God, I just can't do this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have the money. I don't have the power. I don't have the strength. I do not have the ability. I am not enough to do what God has called me to do. I cannot do what's required of me. When the Holy Spirit lives within us, He gives us the exact power, the exact power that we need to accomplish the exact thing that God calls us to do. Now, I know what you may, th- may be thinking. You may be thinking, that's, that's great, Mike, but you don't understand because, Mike, this problem is real, and it's, yeah, we love the inspirational speech thing, but listen, I have a real problem. And in fact, if you were trying to describe this problem to me, here's how you'd probably describe it to me. You say, you see this red curtain up there? You say, you say okay, in order for you to touch the curtain, how hard that would be for you to just try to jump and touch the curtain, that big of the problem is how big my problem is. You would say, you see how hard that would be? Mike, you don't understand. You could never touch the curtain. And that's how big my problem is. But I guess what I'm saying is, 
what God has, what God has told us, is that, is that when we, no matter how big the problem is, when the Holy Spirit is living in us, the Holy Spirit essentially gives us the power to touch the curtain. And what happens is that in our lives, when we're dealing with problems, we're dealing with situations, when we're struggling, we're going, God, I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it, it's too big. God says, listen, I've given you power. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God has sent the Holy Spirit to live in you. And when you face a situation that's too huge, God says, I've given you power. I've given you the ability to do what you can't do. And the problem that you're facing, you can't do it. I'm not just make it, let's just be real clear. Let's just take all the pressure off. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You don't have the money. You don't have the skills. You don't have the ability. You're not that good. And God says, you don't have to be. Because I don't want you to touch the curtain. Because I have the ability to bring the curtain down to you. Now, that's, that's great and that's awesome. But how do we do this? How do we, how do we tap into this power? Because, because the smoothie life is this right here. It's a life full of power. How do we tap into this? For us, how do we do this? What are the practical ways in our lives? I just have three quick power outlets, three things that I think will help us help us tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. The first one is, don't stop believing. And and, and in that, it's recognizing that there's a greater power at play. And the second part is just don't forget, don't stop believing. Some of you have come to a place where you're looking at your problem right now, and it's too big. Some of you are looking at your situation and thinking, I don't know what to do. I don't think I can handle this. It's too big for me. And I'm about to give up hope. And we're kind of standing at a line where we're about to just give up. And we're about to stop believing that it can actually happen. We're about to stop believing that God is who He is. Stop believing that He wants the best for us. Stop believing the promises of God. And we're, about, we're at this place when we're just about to give up. We're just about to walk away. Because as far as we can see it, God has just abandoned us. But in order to sort of tap into the Holy Spirit, allow Him to reveal His power, we can't give that hope up. We can't stop believing. The second one is take a step in God's direction. Because um, if we take one, he'll take 99. Here's, here's, what I think, here's what I think our responsibility is. Our responsibility is not to jump and touch the curtain. I just think our responsibility is to reach out. Because there's no way we can touch it when it's up there. There's no way. But, you know, when Peter and John, when the religious leaders called them up, I mean, here's the, here's the great thing. The religious leaders, they, they seize them and they put them in jail overnight. So they're in jail all night. And, of course, if you're like me, if you're in jail all night, here's what you're thinking. Gosh, 
they are going to kill me. I mean, this is horrible. My mom's going to be so ticked off. My dad's going to be disappointed. I'm going to have to go and be a fisherman again. I mean, they're sitting and, and they're talking themselves out of it. And we think, you know, sometimes we tend to think that because they're in the Bible that they were up all night going, hey, God's so good. And they're sitting in jail. He's going to, this is going to be so much fun. I mean, probably not at that point. At some point, maybe, but not at that point. At that point, they're thinking, oh, this is, hey, this has been a great ride. Now they're going to kill us like they killed Jesus. They're probably having this really, really hard time. So they stand up before those religious leaders, and the religious leaders ask them a question. And you know what Peter did? He just took a step. He just reached for the curtain, and it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. And if, when he just reached, God gave him power to make up for his inability to do what he was called to do. Third one there is to live every day with the confidence that the power of the Holy Spirit is in you. You know, when you face your problems, there's a difference between walking around defeated and being confident that God's going to come through. I mean, because listen, if God is who He says He is, if God will do the things that He actually says that He'll do, if the Maker of the universe... Is, is what he says is true. And we should face our problems with our hand in the air. Then the way we should face our problems is waiting for God with the confidence that he's going to come through. We should face those times. And you know what, really? We should look at the times when we're not enough, when our, our, our skills, our level of just ability just lacks when all those things just don't work, when we don't have enough money, when we're not strong enough, when we're hurting, when, when it just doesn't work, we should look at those times and, and those moments with a little bit of excitement. Because the minute that you can't do what, you're, what is required of you, the moment that happens, it gives God an opportunity. There's a, there's a verse in the Bible that, and Paul's talking about his weaknesses, and it's not going to be on the screens, but he says... In my weakness, then you are strong. He says, when I am weak, then God is strong. And you know what? When we face problems that we can't get to, and we know that we can't, when we are weak, then He's strong. And when we are weak, then God, then, then people look at us and go, Wow. Look at what God did in their lives. When we are weakest, God's power is greatest. And God's power is revealed in our lives. So let me ask you, what situation in your life is too big for you to handle? What situation are you facing you're just thinking, I just can't do this? Where don't you have the power to take on what you need to take on? Where do you need the power to make the curtain come down for you? I would imagine a lot of us are hurting. A lot of us are going through pain. A lot of us are facing big, big problems. And we just need the power of the Holy Spirit to make himself real in our life. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of change up what I was thinking I was going to do. 
I want us to just kind of close our eyes and bow your head if you want to. And and if you want that power, and I'm going to keep my eyes closed, and let's just everybody have their eyes closed. If we need the curtain to come down, if we need the curtain that God of, of our problems, if we need God to bring down the curtain, here's what I want you to do. And I have my eyes closed, so I'm not going to look. But I want you to reach out for the curtain. I want you to reach out and just lift your hand high. And I want you to say, God, listen, I'm facing something that's too big for me right now. And God, I can't deal with this. And God, I'm kind of at the end of myself. I need your power and I need your help. If that's you, reach up as high as you can as a symbol. God, we, some of us lift our hands today and we, we need you. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to make up the difference. We need you to bring the curtain of our problems down. We need you to meet us where we're at. We need a power that we don't have to make up the difference. So God, as we reach towards you, we ask that you would let that power rise in us. For some of us, if it's just strength to get through something, help us have strength to get through something. If it's strength to fix something, give us the strength to fix something. Give us the power to fix something. If it's the power to, to have faith, give us that power. If it's the power to just keep going, to deal with something, to, to go home today and to just confess some things, and we need that power, then God, give us that power. Whatever it is, God, we lift up our hands to you. And we ask that the, your power, the power of the Holy Spirit, would make it, just, just make it happen. So God, help us to live every day with the confidence that your power is going to be making it up for us. And God, we pray that today as we leave here and we pursue the smoothie life, that it would be a life of power. In your name, amen.